Hi, everybody. Welcome to the February 13th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DeCiti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the sparring between Veterans Affairs Secretary Robert McDonald and Colorado Congressman Mike Kaufman at a congressional hearing discussing the VA budget. When criticized, McDonald reinforced there was no issue with the budget, exclaiming that he had run a large corporation and asked Kaufman what had he done. Uh, Patty, this was... Uh, even as a, as a skit on TV, this would be a great snark. To actually see it in real life was wonderful. Uh, what did you think? Well, what Kaufman has done is actually served in Iraq, taken two tours. I thought he did an excellent job of schooling the new head of the VA, who has not managed in his six months there to get the Denver budget anywhere near in control. Certainly has not managed to get the outgoing regional head of the VA, uh, Lynette Roth, on any kind of appropriate track since she is still attacking whistleblowers. So Kaufman did an excellent job, uh, did Colorado proud with this one. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, you see uh, secretaries of various agencies coming to uh, congressional hearings and getting uh, questioned by uh, all sorts of members of Congress. But this one was a little bit special, and it seemed that uh, um, not only did McDonald not want to back down, but he made a point of really trying to stick it right back to Kaufman, which didn't seem like a wise move. No, and particularly for people in Colorado who know about how bad the, the VA problem has, has been. Here, uh, McDonald is a, as a former CEO, he, he talks a very good game. And so I, was, I heard him on the radio earlier this week, and he was saying some, some intelligent things, like the VA has had nine different websites for different services for veterans, and he's working on consolidating them, and likewise consolidating the VA's regional centers into things that will be a regional center, you know, say for eight states for every program. Uh, to make that part of access easier. So that, that seems like a sensible thing to do. But also like CEOs, he seems very defensive uh, when continuing weaknesses in his organization are pointed out. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, let me ask you this. If you're, uh, because all those secretaries are part of the executive branch, if you're watching this from the White House as part of the White House staff and you're seeing this on C-SPAN, are you rooting for McDonald because, hey, stick up for yourself? Or are you like, what are you doing? This is the, the last thing we need. What do you think? Well, I can't always put myself in the shoes of this White House and, and, and how, how they're going to react. I think I would have picked up the phone and either called McDonald or his assistant and suggested maybe try the decaf. But, uh, <laughs> you know, his response, McDonald's response, it struck me as condescending and arrogant and defensive. Now, if I'm the head of the VA these days, I get defensiveness. There's probably a reason to be defensive, and you do feel he's only been on the job six months, and uh, I assume there's a feeling of being in the bu bunker or inheriting the bunker, but the condescension and the arrogance was not called for and not necessary and won't ultimately serve him well. Pentate, attorney at Greenberg Traurig, also a longtime state lawmaker. Um, You've been on the side of the coin where you've had to hold meetings and hold other uh, officials accountable to certain things. Was McDonald out of line? You know, I don't think he was out of line necessarily. I thought he used extremely poor judgment under the circumstances. It seemed to me a better approach would have been, I've only been here six months, and yeah, we have a mess on our hands, and I'm committed to cleaning it up. And he could have then touted his experience as a CEO in contrast to the congressman who, you know, admittedly and, and with all um, respect, served two tours uh, overseas. But that doesn't mean he knows how to run the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, so, you know, he, he's got a pretty steep learning curve. This is going to be his approach to elected representatives who are asking him about his department. 
The issue of access to personal information of police officers and to body camera footage is set to become a major debate at the Denver City Council. The Council's Safety Committee unanimously approved a bill that would strengthen the office of the independent monitor and how much information it can seek from officers. The bill now goes to the full council next week. Uh, Patty, this uh, started a whole letter-writing campaign from the, the police union, uh, the Office of the Independent Monitor, the ACLU has uh, been involved. should be a pretty big fight next week for the city council. What do you think? Well, I think that the sheriff's department and the cops have to be thrilled every time the VA makes a mistake because that is the only institution in the Denver area that looks worse right now than what's going on at the police department and with the Denver Sheriff's Office. The independent monitor was set up back by Hickenlooper shortly after he became mayor. We've heard pretty good things coming out of the independent monitor's office, first Richard Rosenthal and now Nick Mitchell. They don't seem to overstep. They seem to take their jobs very seriously. Certainly Mitchell has, and he's been very busy with the number of complaints he's had to deal with regarding the police department and the sheriff's department. Paul Lopez came up with this plan that I think looks pretty straightforward. It looks like a good idea. This is not a good time for the police, to, the police union to be fighting the idea of more transparency especially when there are complaint, citizen complaints about the police. When you have the shooting at the moving vehicles, which is a policy that other departments do not endorse. When you have no, ca no cameras in those cars, even though other departments have them. Uh, when you have the chief of police saying that the body cameras are important, this seems like a good move by, for city council to approve. Uh, David, I guess, uh, while I disagree with their stance, I understood why the police union would have this stance and get involved. Um, but I can't imagine any part of the city council, especially, I guess, for the, uh, I meant my numbers might be off, the five to seven of them that are running for re-election, that would be behind an idea of getting less information to the Office of the Independent Monitor, especially in the days we're in right now. Um, but I might be crazy. What do you think? Well, uh, municipal employee unions are enormously powerful around the country in, in local elections. So getting crossways with the, the Denver Police Union isn't, uh, necessarily an, an obviously smart political move. I think what's more important is what's going on in the legislature, which is a bill to make it clear what, what was already really the law, but is ignored by some rogue police officers to say that citizens have the right to film police activities and you can't steal somebody's cell phone and erase the video because uh, you don't like what they were filming. That's not just one independent monitor, but thousands of in independent monitors. That's sort of the, the genius of the American system of government is the people are part of the government on a day-to-day -day basis. And if the Denver Police Department is still so laggard on body cameras, which were cutting edge, or vehicle cameras, which are quite old now and they still don't have that, then the easiest step we can take for, to improve independent monitoring is to protect the rights of citizens to film what is going on in public. Uh, Eric, is, and we've made a lot about this on this program, but we're getting into a major municipal election in just a couple of months, and it doesn't seem like a whole lot of people are talking about it. Um, is this going to become an issue because of the letter campaigns going back and forth, and will there be some contention, or do you think the council just wants to make this happen? Well, I think it's both. I think council probably wants to make it happen. I think it will be an issue in some council races, uh, particularly where the police union maybe tries to assert itself or has a candidate or tries to assert some power. 
but again, we don't have a marriage race where this would normally be uh, the subject of debate. We started with the topic of the, the VA had against Mike Kaufman, and the common denominator there was defensiveness. Well, that common denominator applies here, too, and the, the union and police look very defensive here. I totally identify with uh, David's point in terms of the bill in the legislature. I'll be curious to see what happens to that bill, but to um, protect the rights of any individual to use their cell phone camera or whatever camera they happen to be carrying to document events. It strikes me that the net on that has to be overwhelmingly overwhelmingly positive. And, and then back to, to Mayor Hancock, you know, the, uh, the re-elected mayor at this point, given that no one out there, save uh, David and Patty's recruitment efforts, um, <laughs> no one out there is, uh, is running against him. At some point, reporters and others have to start asking, what became of that task force he appointed now six, seven, eight months ago to reform the police department. They hired a couple high-priced, uh, excuse me, that was more focused on the sheriff's department, hired a couple high-priced consulting firms, one from East Coast. That thing is, seems to have gotten awfully sleepy and, and awfully backburnered. And again, you would hope for someone to force that issue, but absent a political debate, it doesn't get forced. Pan, wrap it up for us. Uh, you know, the, <clears throat> this is an interesting situation. I think Eric's right. You've got a lot of defensiveness. But I think the other thing that's happening that we all need to be mindful of is this is really an issue whose time has come. Um, when Hickenlooper first got elected, I co-chaired the task force that put together the Office of the Independent Monitor. So it's been since then. And, you know, the, the office has had some issues, but, but the current monitor, I think, has done an exceptional job. He hasn't overreached. He's gotten to the heart of some issues, and more importantly, the culture in these various departments that are heavily unionized, as David said, is getting exposed. So a lot of the things you're seeing didn't just happen in the last month or two. Some of this has been building because of the culture that exists, and that culture needs to be changed. And that's what people are saying. That's why you're seeing city council, I think, appropriately looking at beefing up the, the, the powers of the monitor, or at least clarifying what the monitor can do. Part of what's in the proposed bill just reinforces the authority the monitor already has. And I think the state legislative effort, which is important, because now what you're seeing around the country is I saw some clip the other day where a police officer, uh, five officers were handcuffing somebody who was down on the ground somewhere, and one officer ran up to a woman who was filming it and said, I'm confiscating your phone as evidence of a crime. And he tried to snatch it from her, and she's backing up. And I'm thinking to myself, the only crime she was taping was the way the police department was acting towards her mm -hmm. and the sub subject they'd already, um, you know, subdued. So this is changing, and, and law enforcement really needs to, I think, get comfortable with this and get in step with it, because I don't think people are going to withdraw from wanting more transparency. The Parents' Bill of Rights passed this week in the state Senate thanks to a major push from Republicans. Reporters say the bill would give more, parents more control over what schools and doctors can provide without permission, but opponents say it's a political manifesto and diminishes children's rights. David, um, it's no guarantee that the House will even have uh, this union into committee, so this might just be another Republican bill from the Senate into the House. But it brings up some other issues, whether it be uh, social issues about um, what doctors can give to kids uh, without parents uh, no, being notified. And then also in this era of vaccinations and things like that, the whole Parents' Bill of Rights, I think, uh, brings up a lot of different issues for people. Uh, what do you think, that, what's your prognostication for this bill? Well, despite one information being put out by some of the professional trolls on, on the Internet, this doesn't change the law about vaccinations one way or the other. 
the principle that children are in the the parents have a fundamental constitutional right to direct their children's upbringing which the government can't take away that the children are part of the family not part of the government is something very well established in our constitutional law it goes back at least to the Meyer versus Nebraska case in 1921 reaffirmed in cases such as uh, the the Yoder case uh, from Wisconsin in the early 1970s where the very liberal court there said that certainly parents that you can't force Amish children uh, to go to high school because they have a, an alternative path for themselves and the government can't make everybody into a one-size-fits-all. On this particular bill, I think there are some things that, that no reasonable person could object to. For example, saying that schools have to inform parents about things that are already in the law, about opting out of, uh, you know, seeing a movie in class or what the, the law rules about vaccination are. That's just more transparency in telling people. On the other hand, I think there are some things that, that go too far. For example, it says when a parent asks about one of these topics, the school has to answer within two business days. That would be reasonable in most situations. But, you know, what if you got the parent who keeps on emailing you every 15, 15 minutes, uh, you know, and you, know, you may have a principal who's doing nothing but responding to this parent's email. So I think the, the best approach would be if it goes, over to the, it goes over to the House and then the House in a bipartisan way culls some of the things from this that they're wor they might be worried about and keeps the things which everyone ought to support and comes sends back to the Senate a narrower bill. And that would be a good example of bipartisan cooperation, moderating things, uh, getting rid of the chaff and, and producing some good wheat. Uh, Eric, I love uh, David's optimism about this, that it can go to the House, get worked on, and again, cutting, cutting the chaff, getting to the wheat, and coming back with a nice bipartisan kernel. Um, I guess I'm a little bit more cynical, thinking that when I saw this, it felt like another checkoff list for Senate Republicans. We, we did the gun bills check, um, we're doing the social issue check, and then if we really want something passed, we'll work on that next month. Am I just a cynic? Oh, you're a cynic, Dominic, but you're not alone at this table being a cynic. I was tearing up a bit as I was listening to David Wax Poetic about the, the future of this bill and the potential for bipartisan cooperation. This is going nowhere. The, the, the House will dispose of this, uh, uh, sending it to a kill committee if it even gets, uh, if it even gets that far. David makes a, a good point in terms of the well-established constitutional, uh, constitutional tenant, constitutional principle. It's there for a reason. My question is, what is the specific problem sitting here in year 2015 in Colorado that this particular legislation seeks to redress? And I'm not sure, you know, before you have a solution, you need to articulate what the problem is. And I'm, I haven't heard much of an articulation of where exactly this is directed. It strikes me that uh, the intent at least uh, smacks of, of some mischievousness on the part of, of some sponsoring legislators. It points to where the epicenter of the Republican Party is these days, particularly in that state Senate Republican caucus. I mean, the names you're talking about identified with this bill are the Kevin Lundbergs and Tim Nevels and Vicki Marbles, and these are the hard social conservatives um, of, of the party. And I do question as to, I mean, Cory Gardner, successful Senate candidate uh, in what before had been a blue-leaning state, ran away from these issues. And it, it strikes me as curious that some Republicans are wanting to run in this direction and talk about these issues instead of fi finding other ground to fight on. Uh, 
Penn, will, will you be the kind of a cynical tiebreaker here? Uh, the, the, the bill passed in the Senate 20 to 15. So some Democrats crossed the aisle. Sure. Not a lot of them, but at least two of them. Um, can this be worked on, like Dave was talking about, become a bipartisan effort in the House? It can be, but just because you're a cynic doesn't mean you're wrong. <laughs> it probably won't be. And, and Eric described this bill as, as a solution looking for a problem. Well, the problem that it's trying to solve is we want to establish what our caucus stands for, and hopefully we'll be able to take control, keep the Senate and take control of the House, and get the governor's seat next time around because we stand for certain things. But I think the bill misses the point. Whenever you hear about legislation that seeks to reaffirm something, that's code for saying it's already in the law. We're just passing a bill to say it again and maybe sneak a few things in here that we didn't get the first time around. And I think those are the, the items that David says probably reasonable people could disagree over that probably don't make sense. And that's what this effort is aimed at. You know, parents can already stop their kids from being vaccinated if they don't want them to. They can opt their kids out of sex education. They can opt their kids out of a variety of school activities. So in many respects, the principles that David said the bill stands for that are good are already in current law. So the bill is really a political declaration, which is fine. I mean, you're allowed to do that in the legislature. Uh, Patty, one of the reports talked about the bill really being about the um, access to birth control. Like, uh, a minor couldn't be given access to birth control without the parent's permission. Is that the, uh, the center of this argument? No, I mean, I think that Penn really has it. It's just they want to establish a beachhead. The way this has been presented, it's as though Governor Hickenlooper has had every field trip that's come through the state capitol. He's been pouring beer down the kids' throats and making them watch Jenny McCarthy movies and laughing at them. There's just no need for this bill. Everything that a parent should, could be really legitimately concerned about is already addressed by state law. We don't need it, and we don't need to waste time if we're going to have kumbaya uh, measures in the legislature and we, we've got some very important ones to work on. We've got construction defect where you'd like to see some kind of compromise worked out and that is going to take everybody's efforts. There's no need to compromise on a bill that we don't need. Let's get a quick take on this one. The issue of whether to allow medical marijuana on school grounds is being put to the test at a Jefferson County Middle School. 14-year-old Jack Split, who has severe disabilities, has medical approval to use marijuana oil without any THC. However, school officials have told his nurse he cannot use the oil on school grounds, standing by the fact that schools must follow federal laws. Uh, Eric, just another uh, example of a, of a pot argument. Where are you at on this one? Happy to give you a quick take. I've referenced on this show before a book I read. It's probably 20 years old, but it was very formative for me. Title says it all, The Death of Common Sense. That's what's lacking in so many sectors of government these days. Uh, this is a clear case. We can debate pot wars. We can debate federal versus states' rights. We can debate all of it. Here you have a severely disabled kid for whom these oils apparently have a significantly beneficial benefit. Uh, and uh, common sense would indicate let's not fight about this. Let's let the, let the kid and his, uh, his parent, caretaker, etc., do what they need to do to get through the day. Penn, is common sense losing because schools simply fear being sued? Well, common sense may be losing because this is Jeffco, and we, we've <laughs> talked about some of the issues there. Um, but, but Eric is right, uh, you know, and what's really bizarre about this episode is why this school and this district would pick this particular student 
to single out and make an example of. Someone who's using medicinally the product in the way that I think we all envisioned mm -hmm. when medicinal marijuana was approved with an oil that doesn't have a large component of THC, which creates some of the, the, the effects of getting high, and it's prescribed by doctors and it's you and know being monitored and administered by a nurse who's with the child in the school. Um, this is bizarre reasoning, and, and particularly why they picked now to do this. Patty, what do you think? Well, if the nurse had been selling it on the playground, maybe we could understand some concern. But as it is, it is one of the more boneheaded moves by in Jeffco schools, and that's saying a lot. David, wrap it up for us. It's, Jeffco schools aren't to blame. They're following federal law. Um, and the reason this comes up is because few students with marijuana on school property have such a legitimate reason as this, so they wouldn't come forward in, in, in the first place. It's the federal funding is this root is the root of this evil, along with the rules that laws that go along with it. We ought to return to the Constitution as it actually was written, which would mean the federal government wouldn't have any power to spend money and bring rules that go with it on local schools. Uh, we have time for a, a quick take on this last one. I know everyone has an opinion about this one. Uh, uh, NBC Nightly, uh, Nightly News anchor Brian Williams has been suspended for six months following reports that he lied about his experience covering the Iraq War in 2003. On the same day, John Stewart announced that he'll be leaving The Daily Show later in 2014. Uh, Penn, this felt just like as a, if you want to define how the media has changed in America uh, over the years, it, this was the day to do it. Um, your thoughts? You know, it really was. I don't know why Stewart's um, retiring or resigning, but with Brian Williams, it, it goes to the core. People watch the news as opposed to getting all their news, hopefully, as opposed to getting all their news off the Internet, because you're assuming when you watch the news, there's some level of authenticity and reliability um, inherent in that. And, and Brian Williams didn't, didn't provide that. And so I think uh, the path CBS has taken is appropriate under the circumstances. Um, uh, and NBC. I know you, you, know you meant NBC there. NBC. Patty, um, uh, the bigger blow to American viewers, losing Brian Williams or Jon Stewart? I would, at this point, I would say uh, Jon Stewart, who might have been more truthful in his news coverage than Brian Williams. We misremember uh, all the time on this show, but we do it for free. We are not paid $10 million to be the head of the managing editor of NBC News. Uh, what Brian Williams did is really beyond the pale. Um, a six-month suspension without pay will obviously mean he is not coming back in that kind of capacity. Uh, David, did NBC make, make the right move? The show they just fired him. I think they're... They want to investigate further, and, and six months gives them plenty of time to do it. Uh, Chopper Whopper and its associated tall tales are just about a guy who's making up stories about great things he did. Bad thing to do, loses credibility. It's trivial compared to NBC still having on the air <coughs> Al Charlton, who has incited violent crimes, who ran a two-year-long hate crime hoax against New York State law enforcement officers, who incited successfully the murder of people at Freddy's, Freddy's Fashion Mart in Harlem, who incited the riots in Brooklyn against Orthodox Jews. Al Sharpton is an evil, harmful, destructive person. Brian Williams is just a guy who brags too much. It's ridiculous that Al Sharpton, Sharpton charlatan, is still on the air. Eric, you get to follow that? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. David's right. I might put it a little more gently, but David's right about uh, the Reverend Sharpton. 
uh, two takes on, on Brian Williams. It's sad. I, I think it shows some you know psychological need to inflate yourself. You're you're at the center of the universe anywhere. You're a master of the universe. You're making ten million dollars a year. You're in millions of homes every night. But you, you still, you have to puff up yourself. Uh, I find that uh, I find the whole episode sad. But NBC did what they had what they had to do. With regard to uh, John Stewart, uh, love his show. Don't always agree with his take, and there's obviously a, uh, a particular political viewpoint to his take. But I think he's become the foremost media critic in the country these days. The way he takes apart other people's recitation of the news, and I think that will be missed. And Comedy Central's losing between Stephen Colbert and now John Stewart. I'm going to be curious as to how they replenish uh, repl replenish that bench. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's do it quickly. Our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, start us off. I know yoga is supposed to make you limber, but the contortions <laughs> that the bureaucrat who is, wants to regulate yoga instructors and neglected to mention that she herself is a yoga instructor, that really took some contorting. <laughs> David. As reported by Brandon Redman of Channel 9 yesterday, the another disaster on the Obamacare health care exchange in Colorado the so-called shared eligibility system, which is run by the governor's Office of Information Technology, is conflating people's income. So if you're in 23000 in 2014 and you expect to earn 23000 in 2015, it thinks you earn $46,000, which means your insurance costs go up drastically and you're not eligible uh, for much of the subsidies. And so, again, more people losing their insurance because of the incompetence of this exchange. Eric. I hadn't seen that report, and was, but a slightly different take, and that is to Connect for Health, which is the Colorado Health Exchange, where the budget just continues to explode. They can't get the website to work right, so the call centers are now being overburdened. So they're throwing more money at the website to try to get it fixed, and they're also now tr trying to do another $3 million appropriation to the call centers to keep that alive. At some point, this gravy train ends, and they have to run this thing like a business with all the startup funds already spent. I think it's Brian Williams, just because of the impact it's going to have on the media in general. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, say something nice. Patty. Alex Landau, who's now joined the Colorado Progressives, he was beaten up by cops five years ago and has really been a good spokesperson. David. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for admitting she was not 100% sober <laughs> at the State of the Union. If I had to go to the State of the Union, I wouldn't want to be sober either. <laughs> Eric. <laughs> Pitchers and catchers report next week. Spring training is on the horizon. Uh, baseball season to come. Uh, let's see if the Rockies can turn this thing around. Now you're the optimist. <laughs> Penn. He really is. Um, uh, Colorado homegirl Lindsey Vaughn for coming back home and doing well given how quickly she's had to recuperate from surgery. That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Remember that if you missed any part of the show or want to catch our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out cpt12.org or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me at DitaZudi. Also, I'm excited to announce that you can now listen to our show as a podcast on iTunes, so be sure to check that out. And wherever and whenever you want to watch Colorado Inside <laughs> Out, we're going to be there for you. Trust us. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic DiZudi. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.